Hello and welcome to another episode of Connecting the Dots. I'm Jake Lancaster, an internal medicine physician and the Chief Medical Information Officer for Baptist Memorial Healthcare. Hey everybody, I'm HF Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital DeSoto and chief quality officer for the Baptist system. And today we're very excited to have on Shane Hatton, author of the book, Let's Talk Culture. Shane, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute privilege. Can you just give the audience a little bit about your background and uh, what you do and how you got into continuous improvement and talking about culture? Yeah, thanks very much. So my background is a eclectic mix of business and psychology kind of combined. So I sit in this weird intersection between <clears throat> business and people. Um, and so I spent a little bit of time working in business in marketing um, of all places. And then I spent a little bit of time uh, working in not-for-profit not and community sectors um, and then a little bit of time doing some counseling. And so I've kind of blended all of that experience into what I do now, helping organizations develop remarkable leaders and cultures. Um, and for me, it's really been about helping organizations create that space or that environment that makes people want to join a team and also not want to leave a team at the same time and also within that environment create the kind of leaders that if you were to think back to someone in your life that's had a big impact on you and your career journey there's usually one or two people that stand out in your mind and those are the kinds of leaders that i call remarkable leaders that i, I want to help organizations develop more of and i think my particular focus or interest has come in the space around communication and the role that communication plays within organizations to help create remarkable leaders and cultures and so everything i do I have a communication lens that I put across it. And I think a bit of that comes from my background in marketing um, and a little bit from that a background in counseling as well, because I think both of those are really, really crucial, um, have really crucial roles of, of communication woven through them. And so um, communication is my big thing, uh, but then it, it kind of boils down into leadership um, uh, and culture within organizations. Well, Shane, uh, thank you very much for being here. And our listening audience, as you can tell, uh, Shane, by his accent, he he's not from the United <laughs> States. And, and as we're recording this uh, podcast, it's three o'clock here and it's 6 a.m. in Melbourne, Australia, where Shane is. So, uh, Shane, we certainly appreciate you um, getting up early to, to be on the podcast. And uh, one of the things that we wanted to talk about was your book. Uh, it's called Let's Talk Culture. And so we're going to talk a little bit about culture today. And, you know, we've always heard, you know, culture eats strategy for lunch. And, you know, that uh, leadership sets a culture, culture sets a behavior, and uh, behavior drives the results that, that an organization wants to get. But, and everybody says, oh, yeah, that's so true. And I agree. But <laughs> when you ask somebody, what is culture? And what how do you define an organization's culture? You, you'll probably get if you ask 20 different people, you'll get 20 different answers. So so from your perspective, what is the culture? How would you define the culture of, of an organization? That is probably the number one question I'm asked and the number one question I ask of people because I find it so fascinating. I find it a similar response to you is if I was to ask 20 people, I would get 20 different responses. And I really wanted to understand why that was. So in the middle of last year, I engaged a research company here in Australia 
And I asked them to essentially go out to a thousand of our Australian managers um, and people who are kind of we would classify as middle managers. So they weren't in executive leadership roles. They weren't kind of in frontline roles. They were right in the middle of the organization. And I asked them to ask those leaders, can they define organizational culture? And 99 percent of them said yes. It was it was 0.01% said no, not at all. Some people were a little bit confused about it, but most people overwhelmingly said they could define culture. And the next question naturally that we asked them was, well, what is your definition of organizational and team culture? And we gave them a small space to be able to write their answer. And as the answers came in, about one in 10 people could give us any kind of consistent definition of what culture was. And most of people said something like, it's the behaviors and practices and patterns and values that kind of guide and inform the decisions of our team. And it was a very well-crafted response. And there were variations of that throughout the data. And I remember getting the raw data from our research company and looking through this definition. And I did the kind of um, control find and I used the same definition and just kept showing up in variations. And I thought to myself, that seems too well-crafted for people to just come off the top of their head. And I thought to myself, if I was asked to define culture and I said I could, and in the next question I was asked to define it and I didn't know the answer, what would I do? And I thought to myself, I'll just quickly open up Google and I'll type define organizational and team culture. And do you know what answer came up? <laughs> the, the one in 10 people answer. <laughs> and gotcha. so it led us to this idea that culture is really easy to describe, but it's really hard to define. And I think that's because at the moment, there's no real universal definition of what culture is. And so we're all looking at a set of dice, but we're looking at different sides of it. And so if I look at the dice, I might say, well, I think it's a five and I'm right. And you might look at it and say, well, I think it's a three. And you're also right. And that's what makes culture really tricky and sometimes complex to define. Really good. Um, you know, you to HF's point, every organization really wants to have that positive culture where somebody wants to to come work. But but why is having a, a good culture important for an organization? Yeah, it's I mean, it's crucial. If you think about organizations that you have loved being a part of, if someone was to ask you about that organization, most of the time people say, I just really liked the culture there. And when they say culture, they mean a whole lot of different things, but it's it, it can feel it's almost in everyone's conversations. Culture is the thing that retains people on a team. You can be part of an organization that collectively has a, you know, what we might say an unhealthy culture, but be part of a team that has a really great culture and you'll stay within an, within an unhealthy organization. Or on the flip side of that, you might be in an organization uh, that has a really great culture, but your team has a really unhealthy culture and you don't want to stay and you leave. And so I think culture is the key to attracting great people to your team, but also to retaining them. And when we ask people, how does culture influence a business? They said all kinds of things. They said psychological safety. People feel more safe to show up in their environment fully uh, as they are. Um, it was engagement. People felt more engaged in teams that had great culture. Um, they stayed longer. Uh, they attracted top talent within the market. I mean, Gallup's got great research around this that says that the top 20% of performers and top 20% of talent, when it comes to interviews, they're asking questions about culture, not about perks and benefits. And so we're attracting really great people to the business. And so culture is one of those things that permeates every layer of the business. Get it right and you've got a really thriving uh, business, get it wrong, and you've got a really high turnover, you've got whole kinds of issues that you, you that kind of keep recurring in the business. It's like that picture of the of the tree with the root system. If it's the, the root system underneath it, which is kind of the culture, if it's unhealthy and it's dead, then everything that kind of comes as a result of that ends up being impacted. 
when you know when when you when you talk about culture it it can sort of be like personalities you can say hey that person has a great personality yeah. but they're maybe kind of introverted or this person has a great personality and they're and they're they're more extroverted you know with within the realm of of good culture i'm sure there are, are different categories are do, do you do you try to define you know w- within that category of good culture different categories yeah it's, it's and, a great and, question. And, are, and are there common threads you know if you're gonna if you're gonna have a, a great culture you must have this 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 and this yeah yeah it's a really good question i think part of that is understanding even though culture is really hard to define. It has some commonalities in terms of understanding what culture is. And I think for people who are listening to, it kind of felt like that first question I dodged a little bit about what's the definition of culture. Now, if I was to give you my my personal definition of culture, I would say ultimately culture is just the norms of the organization. That's the simplest way of putting culture, boiling culture down to its essence. But again, like it's still only one facet of it. I think if you were to look at culture rather than trying to define it, look at what culture has in common uh, when we talk about the definitions. And I mean, into the early 90s, I think there was something like 54 different academic definitions of what culture what, what culture is. And I was doing an interview for the book um, with um, Samir Stravastava, who is in um, Berkeley. And he said, Shane, if you want to start an argument amongst academics, just ask them to define what organizational culture is. And I kind of agree with that. But here's here's the the four kind of key elements that I think every definition of culture that I've seen has in common. The first is that every definition of culture is always talking about culture within a collective sense, meaning that they always talk about culture referring to a group of people rather than an individual. So when we're, it, what it tells me is that wherever you've got a group of people, you've got a culture. So whether you've done anything about it or whether you haven't, you have culture wherever you have a group of people. The second that it was it always included some element that was unseen um, or intangible. So things like values and beliefs and meanings and assumptions, all those things are influences, but they're intangible. You can't touch them. You can't point to your values. You can't point to your beliefs. The third was that it had some kind of observable element to it, meaning you could point to behaviors, systems, patterns. Um, So, for example, when someone talks about the culture of their organization, more often than not, they're talking about the behaviors. When they said, I love the culture of our team. Well, why do you love the culture? Well, I like the way that they're inclusive, that they're empowering. Okay, so what do you mean by that? Well, they invite me out for team lunch or they, you know, they make sure that I've got all the work and resources that I need to get the job done. So they're pointing to behaviors. Um, and then the last thing was that um, culture is always um, has this shared learning element, meaning that we catch culture and we learn culture from people around us. So all the kind of definitions of culture have those things in common. And so when you ask the question about what does culture have in common across teams, well, it really depends. There are some things that, you know, we would consider to be norms of the society that we live in. So we hope that people would be empathetic and kind, and we hope that there would be some kind of human qualities that would show up in environments. Um, And as a result of that, when we show up to work, we bring our expectations of one another of how we should be. And so whichever, um, I guess, expectation is the collective norm of the team will eventually embed itself into the culture of that team. Um, For example, if you were thinking about if I had this belief that if a person had a problem with me, they would come directly to me and have a conversation with me rather than talking about me to other people. If that was an expectation that I held and I brought that into the into a team and there was 10 people in the team, if eight of us held that shared expectation, 
then chances are the culture of our team would be one that we go to one another when we have an issue. Whereas if I held that expectation and nine others didn't, and they all had this belief that if I had a problem, I should tell them my, my supervisor or my manager or the people around me, then that would be the culture of the team. So um, there are some human qualities that I think are probably the norms in society that creep their way into organisations, uh, but not that's not always the case. So you hit on this a little bit earlier when you talked about turnover, but I would imagine that most organizational leaders think they have a great culture within their organization. How do they know or how can you know if your culture is bad and needs to be improved? Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a huge one that a lot of, I guess, senior leaders are looking at. They're asking themselves the question, what does healthy culture look like and what does unhealthy culture look like and how do we move more towards the culture that's healthy for us? One of the um, opening paragraphs of the book, um, I, I wrote this phrase, which was that um, this book is not going to teach you how to create a healthy culture, mostly because healthy is not mine to define. And when I was thinking of the tagline for the book, it was about, you know, do we write something about how to create a healthy culture or the conversations you need to create a healthy culture? And I was kind of torn with this idea of what does healthy culture look like? And what I landed on was the conversations you need to create the team that you want. And the reason why I said that is because most of the time when we put culture on a scale, we, we put it from the scale of unhealthy to healthy. But if I was to put, I mean, let's take a, you know, let's take a hospital as an example. If we were to put the culture of a hospital of what we would consider healthy in, in that context, and we take it into the context of a, say, a primary school or, or middle school or something like that, would the same culture that's considered healthy within that hospital be considered healthy within a school? Or if we took the context from the school and we put it into the military, or if we put it into the retail, or if we put it into, uh, you know, any other kind of industry, would it still be considered healthy? And there are some elements where you say, well, actually, that's not considered healthy in other contexts, but it's perfectly normal within ours. And so I think one of the dangers that we can get caught into trying to trying to define what is healthy and what's unhealthy. And I think what we need to start asking the question is, what is the culture that we want within this context and how do we work towards that? Um, and then there, are, of course, there are some things that we look at at a global scale that are the norms. So, for example, you know, mental health and well-being, psychological safety, some of these key things that we know contribute towards more engaged workforces, those things we could look at benchmarks to say, how do we create a more psychologically safe, a more inclusive workplace, because we know the benefits as a result of that. Um, but I think, again, like most things, we've got to ask ourselves, what is the culture that we're trying to create within this context? And how do we work towards um, the conversations that will help us achieve that? You, uh, in your book, you talk a lot about communication and how important that is in a um, for a uh, an organization's culture to talk to us a little bit uh, a little bit about that if you would yeah i mean i love the quote everything rises and falls on leadership and you know i i heard someone once say that, that you know if everything's a leadership problem it can be solved with a leadership solution and i think if you go down into the essence of that i hold the belief that um most of our big issues that we experience are a result of a communication issue and could be resolved with a communication solution. So we have a problem with another person that we can resolve through a conversation. We have, you know, change that has gone off track or, you know, changes that we're, you know, we're not well received. We can go back to how we communicated at the beginning about how those changes would take place. Um, a person feels, uh, you know, I guess unseen or unheard. We can help them feel valued and appreciated with a, a meaningful conversation. So I think communication is a lens that we can put across a lot of things. 
And one of the biggest challenges, especially around culture, is that most of our our conversations about culture are left to be interpreted. Um, there's a, a great um, psychologist in New York, Tori Leto, and she said, what isn't communicated is felt. What's felt is interpreted and what's interpreted is often misinterpreted. And I, I mean, I'd be interested to see your hear your experience of this. You know, how many times have you been in an organization at times where you've got to try and just interpret things and go, is this the right way of doing things? And you learn because someone says, hey, don't do that. And you go, great, I'll never do that again. Or they say, hey, great job. Well done for doing that. And you go, oh, that felt great. A bit of recognition. I'll do a bit more of that. Jake, that sounds a lot like uh surgery residency when you're just kind of thrown in there and you're like how am I supposed to do this and the only the only way you knew you were doing it wrong was was when you got yelled at you know well I learned that really quickly when I was a med student and I in one case they let me you know tie a knot and I ended up cutting the or no not tie the knot but cut the cut the string and I cut the same knot three times and and uh he, he was he was not very pleased for uh one thing that I learned is when I was when they when I was cutting sutures, I'd say, sir, do you want me to cut it too long or too short? Because I know for sure it's not going to be right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and in those contexts, I mean, when you when you started, I mean, within the environment that you're working in, what were some of those things that you did differently when you showed up that you realized very quickly were different to the way other people did things? So were, were there ways of operating that when you showed up to work, you went, oh, wow, they do things really differently here. And what were some of those things that stood out in your mind about that? Let me think. Um, you know, it, it, I, I think I could even, um, you know, may, maybe not a lot of our operating, you know, when I was a resident, you were with an individual surgeon. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, if you could you could break it down into the culture of the, the actual operating room. Mm. And I mean, some attendings that you were with, I mean, it was just the tension was just so. So thick that you could cut it with a knife and and and, and then there would be other other rooms you'd go in with you know you'd be doing the same type case and the, the culture was completely different and, and it was totally driven by the uh by the attending and um you know i just came up with that jack i think that's a pretty good analogy but um <laughs> yeah no no but, I mean, but I, yeah i mean you way. know and and i was just thinking about that and, and there would be times when you would you know you wanted if you had a choice to go in with this attending or this other attending, you were going to go with this attending 100% of the time because the the actual culture of the operating room was much better to be to be in. You know. Yeah. In, in, in those contexts, sorry, Jake, you go. I was just going to say. So yeah, I mean, especially in residency, you'd have you'd have your attending, then senior level resident, and then you'd come along as interns, and you could have a team where you would show up and everybody. It's friendly, you know, maybe we tell jokes to one another and then the next month you'd be on a different team and it was no nonsense, uh, no, no joking whatsoever. And it's just strictly business. And um, it was a much different experience, even though you were at the same organization, same treating the same patients just about and uh, completely different group and certainly had more fun with with the ones that, um, you know, more like me, where I like to, you know, tell jokes from time to time. But yeah, and so it really started with that attending and that senior level resident. You know, it couldn't the culture couldn't start from the interns. Yeah. And that's interesting, Jake, because one of the things you said is that that felt a little bit more like me. 
uh, you know, being able to have a bit more fun, not take, taking things entirely, um, you know, every, all, all times very, very serious, ourselves too seriously, we can have a bit of a laugh with each other. That kind of felt more like you. There's also people who that isn't them, that, that doesn't feel like them. They prefer that serious, no fun, no joking around. And actually, which one of those is right? I mean, there's not really a right and wrong to that. They're both really valuable. I just prefer the culture where, you know, we can have a bit more fun and we can be a bit more lighthearted. And I was talking to a leader recently and I said, if there was one word that could characterize your ideal team culture, what would that word be? And he said, you know what? I just think it would be kind. He said, I want to create a culture that's really kind. And he was the CEO of an organization here. And there was 39 other CEOs in the room. And I said, all right, now, just out of curiosity, if, if everyone else in the room could raise your hand, if kind was is the word that you would use to characterize your team culture at its best and not one hand in the room went up. And I said, okay, well, what other words would you use? Other people would say productive. Other people would say empathetic. Other people would say, you know, innovative. And and they all use different words. And the second question I asked was, when was the last time you told your team that? And they said, well, I don't think I've ever told my team that's the culture that I'm aspiring to create. And I said, well, how would your team know? And they say, well, I mean, I get angry when they're not very kind. And I get really happy when they're really kind. And I was like, so at the moment, they're just learning through social learning. I show up into a, and Jake, your example, I show up into an operating room and we can have a bit of a laugh and you realize, oh, okay, this feels like a little bit, a little more easygoing. I feel like we can be a bit, you know, have a bit of uh, light and shade here. Whereas you show up into another room and you go to have a bit of a laugh and the person says, hey, cut that out. And you go, whoa, I didn't, I didn't know. And so very quickly you're learning culture. And I think communication is just about making those two aspects explicit. So when you say to someone, hey, you know what, these are my expectations when we work together on a team. We're going to have fun. We're not going to take ourselves too seriously. We're going to be professional when we need to be. We're going to make sure we don't, you know, we've got a, a low tolerance to making the same mistakes. We could show up into another team that might say, hey, when it comes to the operating room, we're straight down to business. We don't talk about our personal lives at work. We focus on this. At least it's explicit. You know, again, you know where you stand in that conversation and you can decide, do I want to be part of that culture or, or don't I want to be part of that culture? And that's at least uh, allows you to know exactly what you're getting into. Yeah, I, I, th- I think I think um, you make such a great point is you can have two cultures and you can have one that's much, much, much more relaxed and what we would call laid back. And you can have one that's a, a suit and tie type culture every day but I, and 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 you they may be both good cultures they may both you know i think you, you talk about kindness i think kindness is key and, and that goes right along with respect you know respect mm-hmm. and kindness and i think you know with that respect you know they may both be successful uh organizations but with completely different cultures and you just may not be a part you know, it, it doesn't mean that that their culture is bad. It just means that it might not be right for you. Does that make sense? Yeah. I guess. Is it, would yeah. I be right in saying that? Yeah, exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, each individual has to decide whether they want to be a part of the culture that they're in. And so if I show up into an environment and it's laid back and it's relaxed, but me naturally, I'm very professional and strict and maybe a little bit kind of, um, you know, not that way inclined, I have a decision to make. And that decision is, do I just relax a little bit and fit to the culture so that I can belong within that culture? Or do I keep trying to be myself and I'll constantly feel like an outcast? And if I feel like an outcast from within the group, I'll eventually make that decision to opt out myself or I won't perform at my best within that environment and I'll be moved on. 
And so, again, at least if it's made explicit, you know why you're kind of being pushed to the outer of the group. And, and no no human being wants to feel like they're on the outer of a group. And so by default, we generally change our behavior in order to be able to fit within that group. And so if we're consistently trying to change our behavior, but we don't know what we're trying to change it to, then we actually are constantly trying to get, we feel like we're constantly getting it wrong. So if you've got a culture where respect is really important, and I interpret respect based on my previous experience to mean, um, you know, I, I follow orders and I don't share my thoughts or I don't give my opinions. Whereas respect in this culture means we challenge one another, we push back on ideas, we we challenge the status quo, the way we do things, we innovate and we create. Then I'm going to be consistently in meetings, staying quiet, following orders, whilst everybody else is pushing back and challenging. And we'll be having this conflict of like, why aren't you contributing more? And then you're saying, well, I'm trying to be respectful because I believe we've got a respectful culture here and we have to redefine what respect looks like for that person. So I guess my main question is, can an organization change its culture? Can a zebra change its stripes or is the culture of the organization just solely dependent on the personality and the culture of the leaders of the organization? Yeah. That, that's a huge one. And we asked that question to a thousand of our managers. We said, is culture something that can be, that can be changed or do, does it just happen? And one in two people, so 50% of the people in our survey said culture can't be influenced, it just happens. And that's a scary statistic. Mm. Um, if you've got half the people in your leadership positions of your business saying, well, the culture is just what it is, we can't do anything about it then that's a terrifying thought to me. And I, I absolutely believe you can influence the culture and you can shape it. You've got culture that exists already because we know culture exists wherever the gr a group of people is. So we already have culture. And that's probably the most important thing for people that are leading organizations or teams to recognize. You have a culture already. Can you influence the, to be the culture you want? Yes, absolutely you can. And that starts with conversations with your team to help move the culture in the direction you'd like it to go. And the book obviously outlines a whole bunch of conversations that you can have with your team that are practical, that helps move culture in the direction you'd like it to go. Have, have you seen organizations? I mean, you always, you think of culture starting at the top. Have you seen an organization change its culture from the bottom up? Mm. It's a great question. Look, I think there's elements of organizational change that exists from from the bottom up, but it's it's really hard to change an organizational culture. And I think even if you do change an organizational culture, within that organizational culture exists all these micro cultures within teams. And I think often people are very scared about that. And so when I work with um, leaders, I typically work with leaders in the middle of the business and senior leaders get a little bit scared or intimidated by that going, are we going to create all these subcultures within our organization? And I said that you already got them. You already have subcultures because every single one of your leaders are leading out of their own individual strengths and out of their own individual ways of doing things. And so you already have subcultures. My question is, how do you create subcultures that are aligned with the organizational culture? And so the simple way of doing that is I always ask three questions of our teams, which is number one, what are my expectations as a leader of you in my team? What are your team's expectations of me as the leader? And the third one and the most crucial one is what are our organization's expectations of us collectively? And that always makes sure that at the center of those three questions, we're aligned as an organization. But we're also going to be, you know, we're going to have these unique aspects of our culture in each one of our teams. So we might say, for example, as an organization, we want to create a respectful culture as a collective. 
And as an individual leader, I want to make sure that we treat other people how we'd like to be treated. Now, if you were to kind of bring that up a level, that's all about respect. But that individual leader says, this is really important to me and in our team is that we want to treat one another how we'd like to be treated. And in doing so, we're going to create a more respectful culture. Whereas another team might say, for us, respect is all about making sure that we tell each other the hard truths. Now, is that about respect? Absolutely, it's about respect. But is it different to treating others how we want to be treated? Yes, slightly, but it's still creating a more respectful culture. And I think if we give people freedom to be able to say, create the culture in your team that's aligned to the culture of the organization, then we allow people to be able to start to influence the culture of the organization from the bottom up. And and look, I haven't seen anyone doing this that's had major scale transformations, but there's a lot of great businesses in Australia here who I think are starting the process of that. Yeah, I like that whole idea about, about microcultures within an organization because it's sort of like, okay, whatever microculture you have, you for sure got to have this because this is our this is a non-negotiable of our of our organizational culture. But uh, you know, it's just kind of like you got your IT department, Jake, and you got your different mm-hmm. different type departments, and you know, they're they're totally different. Yeah, very different. I mean, if we think about flexibility and work as an example, if we said, hey, you know, we're going to work hybrid and our culture is hybrid work. And we said, hey, hey, Jake, you can now work from anywhere you like. You don't have to come into the office at all. You might go, uh, I don't know exactly how that's going to work with my role. You might have people who are, you know, you might have nurses on the floor and you're like, hey, you don't have to come into the office anymore. You don't have to come into a hospital. And they're like, that, that doesn't make sense at all. But you might have someone in IT <laughs> who could be working remotely. And so flexibility and hybrid work is not a culture. It's an outworking of a behavior. But if we said as an organization, we wanted to create a culture that was flexible, that could be outworked through the microcultures, you might say, hey, flexibility for us means that we're, you know, we're going to give you some space to go and learn. Um, flexibility means for us, um, we're going to um, give you some, you know, some professional development um you know, space within your schedule so that you can actually have a bit more flexibility about how you learn or, you know, how you kind of, um, you know, work with your team, how frequently you meet with your team. So there's flexibility that gets outworked through the organization in different ways. Well, Shane, I really enjoyed this conversation. I know we're drawing close on time. Any, you know, final thoughts from your book that you want to leave with the audience? Yeah, look, I think most people will leave this this conversation going, okay, I want to change the culture of my team. How do I do that? And I think the, the most helpful place to start is to start with a conversation about expectations. Um, if you ask those three questions that we just gave before, which is what do I as a leader expect of you as a team? What do you as a team expect of me as a leader? And what does your organization expect of us collectively? If you can find an answer to those three questions, you'll find that they all have something in common And if you identify what those things have in common and say, what would it look like for us as a team to move towards that element or that theme that we have in common, and we commit to those one or two behaviors that would make us more like that, I think you're on the starting um, journey towards creating the culture that you want. Well, Shane, once again, thank you very much and um, look forward to talking to you again. It's been an absolute privilege. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. My pleasure.